everybody? <laughs> it is great to be live from our Ridge campus today, right outside of beautiful Batesburg, South Carolina, and it's great to be with those of you maybe who are joining us in person at our Banks Mill or West Campus, as well as those of you who may be watching online today. I just want you to know I am glad you're here, wherever here happens to be for you today. Now, as you can see, we are continuing in this series of messages called Outrage. Living and loving like Jesus in the age of rage. And really our goal in this series is to help us understand and unleash the power of a Jesus-shaped people into a rage-filled world. And as we've seen over these last couple of weeks, our greatest impact as believers in our culture around us, the greatest difference we make is not in participating in the outrage that's going on, but by being different, by living and looking and loving differently than the world around us. Now, this is not a new idea. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been the purpose and the mission of the church for over 2,000 years. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Philippians. Notice what he says. He says, Do everything, church, without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then... Then, he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do you understand what he's saying? That the darker the world becomes around us, the, the greater our opportunity as a church, as believers to shine. Not just in our individual lives, but collectively as a community. And that's what I want to talk about today. Counter-cultural community in the age of rage. How we do life together as believers can significantly impact the culture around us. You know, I think one of the things that it's really hard for us to grasp is how radically different these early Christian communities were from the culture in which we live. It was very obvious very quickly 2,000 years ago that these little pockets of Christians, these different living, different believing kind of people were not just starting a new religion. It was not just that they had a different set of spiritual beliefs. It was that they lived dramatically different from the culture. And that's hard for us to grasp because even though we live in a postmodern, post-Christian nation, so much of the influence in our nation and in our nation's founding and in our nation's history still has a lot of Christian impact in the culture, right? I mean, many of the laws of the land 
come out of Judeo-Christian values. And, and even though we see less and less of that happening, you have to understand in the early church 2,000 years ago, there was zero Christian influence in any place in any ways. Right? This concepts like all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That, that didn't exist in a Roman Empire dominated world. There were no rights, right? There, there was no uh, voting. There was no law. There were no courts that you could go to. It was dramatically different the way these Christians lived. That's why throughout the New Testament you see phrases like, but among you, Christians, it must be different. Or phrases like, you must be in the world, but you are not of the world. And so the early Christians knew they were to live as a community different from the world around us. And the clearest set of instructions, at least in my opinion, as to what it looks like to live in a different kind of community than the culture around us is found in the New Testament book of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. So whether you're in person, uh, whether you picked up a program, or whether you're watching online, I want you to turn or click to that in your Bible app. We're going to be writing Colossians 3, and we're going to look specifically at this passage in verse 12 to verse 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. That's where we're going to drill down. But before we do that, I want to share with you the words that Paul writes just before this passage, his, his lead-in, his setup to what he's going to teach us about countercultural community. It starts with verse 7. Notice what Paul says. He says, Christians, you used to walk in these ways. In other words, in the ways of the culture around you. In the life you once lived. But now, now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. See, that's the culture around them. It's the culture around us today. But Paul says you got to live differently. And look what he says. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, Paul is starting to use this word picture of changing clothes. You're taking off the old way. You're taking off the old things of the culture and the world. And now, as believers, you are putting on these new clothes. And then look at what he says. Here, here in this community, in the way we live here, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian or Scythian, no slave or free. And don't miss this. He says, but Christ is all and is in all. See, that's what makes countercultural community. Any place, any group of people where Christ is all and is in all. Because see, in this little Greek city, this Greek-dominated city in Colossae, this little group of Christians that Paul's talking to, their culture was marked by two things, tribalism and the harsh treatment of people different from you. Imagine that. 
I think that's similar to what we see today. Tribalism. We like to be with and hang out with people who look like us and think like us and and vote like us. And anybody that's not in our little group, we treat harshly. But Paul says, no, Christians, you must live differently. There are no more barriers, right? Maybe if Paul was writing this today, he'd say there's no more Democrat, no more Republican. There's no more black, there's no more white. There's no more upper class, middle class, and lower class. Christ is in all. And Christ is all. But here's what I love about God's Word. It doesn't just tell us what to do, but it tells us how to do it. And that's what Paul does. He lays out four simple but powerful ways for us to live in countercultural community. Four ways to live out a countercultural community lifestyle you ready let's jump in number one the first thing you got to do is look like jesus you got to look like jesus now listen i'm not talking about growing a beard wearing sandals and walking around with a robe on i'm not talking about physically looking like jesus i'm talking about our character our attributes our behaviors and our attitudes because see listen I know we're talking about community and how we live together, but community always starts with us as individuals. As a community, we will always be known for the collective sum of who we are and how we live as individuals. And Paul paints a picture for us. Notice verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, last week we were talking about the Good Samaritan and being radically kind. And if you remember, we talked about attitudes. There were certain attitudes that would either lead you towards radical kindness. There were attitudes that would keep you from being radically kind but now we're switching from attitudes to attributes we're moving paul says from how you feel on the inside to how you are seen on the outside and i want you to notice this about verse 12 don't miss this this is huge it is a two-part verse and if you don't understand the first part of the verse you will never be able to live out The second part of the verse. It's from Paul. This is a you are, so be statement. He says, first of all, this is who you are. God's chosen people. And at that time, the only people who were claiming to be God's chosen people were the Jews, the nation of Israel. But Paul said, no, now through Jesus, you are all God's chosen people, holy Holy is not a word that many of us would apply to ourselves, right? I mean, we sing about God is holy, but we don't think of ourselves as holy. And yet Paul is saying, you are holy. You know why? Because the word holy doesn't mean perfect. The word holy means set apart. Different. Set apart for a special task. Set apart to be different than others. It's, it's the same root word where we get our English word, holidays. They were originally called holy days. 
Why? Because they were days that were set apart. They were just special. They were different. And Paul says, you're set apart. You're different from the world around you. And then don't miss this. He says, and dearly loved. You are dearly loved by God. And once you get that, once you understand that you are set apart, you are different, you are chosen, and that you are loved, then and only then can you start learning to be compassionate, start looking like kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Listen, what keeps us from being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient is not who we are or what the people around us are doing. What keeps us from being that is we have often forgotten whose we are and how loved we are. See, we get this backwards. We think if we behave in these ways, kind, compassionate, all those things, if we do those, then God will love us more. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel of message. The gospel message is you have been loved. That love has been demonstrated. You've been called out. You've been separated. And because of that, here's the overflow of that love. See, unfortunately, church, among people outside the church, we're not known by these attributes. Ask people outside the church what they think of when they think of Christians, and it's not compassion and kindness. It's angry and mean and judgmental, right? You've experienced that. How many of you have ever met, heard about, or been hurt by an angry, mean Christian? Let me see your hands. Yes, hands all over the place, right? You know why that is? Because too many of us within the church are being discipled by our cable news network. We're being shaped spiritually by our social media. But if you will allow who you are in Christ to grow you and shape you, the more like Jesus you're going to look. And that is essential for us to have counter-cultural community. We've got to look like Jesus. Number two... We have to forbear and forgive. Forbear and forgive. I love that word, forbear. We don't hear it much. We don't use it in our language today. It's actually an old English word. It comes out of the King James translation. And I chose that word in the modern translations. It uses the phrase, bear with. You know, bear with each other. But I think a lot of times when we think of bearing with somebody, we think of just, you know, getting over the temporary inconveniences that they cause us, right? We bear with that jerk who cut us off, you know, and we didn't shoot them the bird. We just smiled and waved, right? Or we forbear with that person in the checkout line at Walmart who writes out a check for a $3 purpose. Right? Purchase. And we, and we kind of stand back there and we go, I'm going to be patient. And we, we think that's forbearing. But what forbearing is, is this long-term putting up with the brokenness and issues and difficulties of people around. This idea of forbearing, to me at least in my mind, gives this idea of this ongoing treating each other with a little more softness. Notice Paul says in verse 13, bear with, forbear with each other 
and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then check this out. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did you catch that? Do you see what Paul did there? He ties the gospel message into the heart of how we as Christians do life together. Right? He says, look, forgive not because, you know, this person is getting better. Or, or forgive not because, you know, you're all that in a bag of chips. He says, forgive because you have been forgiven. Forbear with people because God knows God has had to forbear with me and my issues and my failures. He's saying, look, what should shape our community is not who we are, but it's what's been done for us but listen that kind of forbearing that kind of forgiving it only happens when we're in authentic community with each other i think a lot of us within the church we have association with but not participation in community we have proximity for limited periods of time each week but we don't have community a couple of weeks ago terry and i finally got to get around to our summer vacation had to wait until october went to visit some friends out west and of course that meant flying and i don't know if you do much flying but it's an interesting sociological study in airports and in planes and in gates right because it starts at the gate with a group of people who have nothing in common except they're all going on this same flight you know american airlines flight 282 and it starts you gather at the gate right and you kind of sit uh in this area and you listen we all listen together to the gate agent as they give us instructions and at some point we begin to board the plane you know the first class people get to go in first and get in their seats so they can look down the noses at us who are you know in zone five like you know you people are never getting anywhere in life in zone five but you know you kind of go in and we sit side by side in rows uncomfortably close to each other right uh, one of our flights terry and i were separated we we're on the same row but different sides of the aisle and i got a big dude in the seat next to me. i'm talking a big dude in the seat to me so you, you maybe had that before it's just kind of you know you're like this and you try to make some small talk and you know and then the plane takes off and as we're going up we hit some turbulence and the plane is shaking which for me on a flight Always a good time to share the gospel. You know, who doesn't want to know about Jesus when the plane is bouncing around? But we made it up to our cruising speed. And fortunately, I guess because of COVID, there were lots of empty seats. And so the stewardess allowed Terry and I move to a different section so we could sit together, which was great. And then, you know, the plane lands. And together as a flight, we go up a different metal tube. And, and we regather momentarily again at the luggage carousel and you know, I saw my seat buddy, the big guy. Hey, have a great week, man. Have a great trip. And, and then we go our separate ways. For too many of us, that is exactly how we do church, right? We, we got our flight. We got our airline. You know, I'm, I'm Ridge Airline. I'm, I'm West Airline. I'm, I'm Banks Mill Airline. And maybe we have a number, right? You know, I'm a Ridge 9 o'clock or I'm West Campus 11 o'clock and we come in through the same door and we walk through the same middle chute and sometimes we sit uncomfortably close and we make a little small talk we have a little we listen to the same person and 
and maybe we have a little emotional experience that kind of binds us a little bit, and then, you know, we kind of go out and say hey and goodbye and then scatter and go our separate ways, and we call that community. But let me tell you, that's not countercultural community. It's where we do life together day in and day out, not just share a couple of experiences a couple of times each month. Now, now I'm not saying this is all of us here. Many of you are connected and you're doing life together. But for some of us, if we're honest, that's true, right? We got proximity, but we don't have community. That's why at all of our campuses, there's a connection center. And so when you leave here today, maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's your next step for living in countercultural community is to get connected in authentic community. If you're watching online, you can connect as well. There in the chat feature, there's a link. You can just click on that. We'll get you connected at a campus near you. If you don't live anywhere near any of our campuses, we'll try to find a good church that will connect you. If not, we'll help you start a home group right there in your home, whatever you need to do to take that next step. Because if we're going to live countercultural community, we're going to have to forbear and forgive. And you don't do that truly unless you're up close and personal and doing life together. That's countercultural. It's life changing. Number three, third thing we got to do, we got to lead with love. Lead with love. See, it's not just looking more like Jesus and doing life together. It's about always leading with love. You know, a lot of times at church, we like to define spiritual maturity in terms of deep biblical knowledge, right? I want a deeper study. I want to go deeper into understanding the Bible. Let me tell you something. If you truly understand the Bible, what you will understand clearly the message of God's Word is that love is the most important thing. That's why Paul wrote in the, his letter to the Corinthians. Look, I can have all kinds of Bible knowledge and prophesy and heal and speak in tongues, but if I don't have love, I'm just a clanging symbol. Right? That's why Jesus, when he was asked, what's the most important thing in the Bible? Answer, love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I, I love, there's a passage in the New Testament that says this. Love is the most excellent way the most excellent way sounds like a phrase from the 90s right but it's actually from 2000 years ago it's the most excellent way notice what paul says verse 14 over all these virtues these things we were talking about over all these virtues put on love why because it binds them together in perfect unity Paul's continuing with this word picture of the clothing. You've got to take off the old. You've got to put on the new Jesus-like clothes. But then he said, over all that, you've got to put on love. It's so easy for us to miss this because people in the first century dressed differently than we do, right? They didn't wear shirts and pants or skirts or slack. They wore robes. And in fact, they often wore multiple layers of robes. It actually had something to do with being able to keep you cool. Wearing layers kept you cool in the dry desert air. I don't get that because, I, you know, I think about that would make you hot, but apparently it made you cool. So you have people with these different layers of robes on, but they wouldn't stop there. They would take this, you know, piece of fabric like a belt 
and it would wrap around and it would hold all these robes together. But you know what else it did? It stuck out to the people around them because the robe was usually a, I mean, the belt was a different color from the robe. It was usually pretty wide. In other words, that belt was the most obvious outward facing thing about you when you dressed in the first century. And Paul's saying that needs to be what people see first in us. Love. Love should be the most obvious, most outwardly world-facing. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but my greatest desire for Cedar Creek Church is that we would be the most loving church filled with the most loving people. You know why? Because that's the most effective way to change the world around us. But we have options in this age of outrage. There are different ways you can respond to it. You can join in the rage. You can get as mad, if not madder, than the people on the streets and on Facebook around you. You can choose that. You could choose to hide, to hunker down in your holy huddles and hope things change one day. Or you could choose to, above all, put on love. And that's the choice I hope we make. Because a loving church in true community produces loving Christians who counter the age of rage. Let me say that again. A loving church in true community produces loving Christians who counter the age of rage. That's why we lead with love. So let me ask you, what would that look like? For the belt on your robe to be seen as love in your office, in your neighborhood, in your Facebook post. Countercultural community means lead with love. And then lastly, number four, dwell in peace. Dwell in peace. See, it's not just how we treat people around us. It's not just how we respond to the chaos around us. It's also how we face the uncertainty around us. Right? Nothing is more countercultural today than to have inner peace in the midst of outer chaos. To face the unknown, the fear, to face all of the craziness with a sense of peace and hope. It's not only countercultural, let me tell you something, it is attractional. Do you think the people out in the culture want to be all spun up? all the time about all the changes and things they can't control you think if they see you facing life circumstances not ranting on facebook but walking in a hope and a peace and a god who's bigger than the circumstances you don't think they'll be drawn to that then you don't understand people they'll be drawn to that like moss to a flame you know when i look at the outrage in the culture around us do you know what i see beneath the anger and the outrage, fear, fear. Anger's the symptom, fear is the cause. People are afraid of change. They're afraid of what the election results are going to be. People are afraid of being marginalized. People are afraid of losing their rights. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying that as Christians we should not be involved in the political process. Absolutely engage in the political process. You are called to that. You have a right to do that. What you can't do is be angry and demeaning of the people around you. You know what's causing that in your life? Those guttural responses to Facebooks and cable news network? Let's be honest. It's fear. And we show up on Sunday and sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And then we're so afraid we can't help ourselves but to vomit demeaning, hurtful things to people around us. It's fear. But understand this. Paul is writing to a group of people who have no rights. No standing. They have no ability and no control of the slightest a bit to the world around them. And look at what Paul says, verse 15. So because of that, let peace, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. How are they supposed to do that? How are they supposed to live in peace when they have no control, no input? I'll tell you. By remembering who their daddy is. This summer we spent some time in the neighborhood pool with our granddaughter Piper and, and her parents. And one of the things I noticed is she was fearless jumping into that pool. She doesn't know how to swim. She might not even have her swimmies on. But she would just jump off the side of that pool with reckless abandon. You know why? Because her daddy was right there to catch her. Her daddy was there to catch her. She wasn't worried about drowning. She wasn't worried about it being over her head. She wasn't worried about belly flop face planting in the water because she knew her daddy had it in control. Listen, church, I don't know what you're feeling with the election and the direction of our nation, but I've read to the end of the story, and our daddy has it under control. We don't have to be afraid. We can live in peace in chaos. I know there are some of us here, we desperately want to live counter-cultural lives. And we try, we try hard. But it's like at some point it just overwhelms us. And before we know it, you know, we put something on Facebook or we've yelled at the cable news TV. We don't want to be that way. We want to live in faith, not fear. But it keeps bubbling up. It keeps slipping out. And if that's you, here's what I want you to understand. Different output requires different input. If all you're putting in is social media and cable news and the latest conspiracy, if you're filling up your life with all of that stuff, it's going to come out eventually. I don't care how strong your will pipe power is. You've got to put something different into your mind and your heart. And that's what Paul talks about in these closing verses, 16 and 17. Look at what he says. Let the message of Christ dwell among you in community, richly, as you teach and admonish one another. And then whatever you do, here's the result. Whatever you do in word or deed, you'll be doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every week for the last nine months during this pandemic, I've been posting a video on our church Facebook page called a midweek update to help us stay connected, to keep you informed. But every one of those midweek update videos end with the exact same phrase. Three words. 
Three things I encourage you to do. Have you noticed that? Every time I say this, stay focused on Jesus, stay connected to each other, and keep looking for ways to be the church wherever God has placed you. I don't keep saying those things over and over because I think you're dumb and can't remember. I don't keep saying them because they're a cool phrase in a pandemic. I say them because they are essential to living out the radical counter-cultural community that our world is desperate for. Let's go from hearing those words on a Wednesday Facebook video to living them out in the streets, in the offices, the stores, and our neighborhoods to be the church in radical community. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I don't know where everybody listening to my voice and watching this today is. I don't know where they are physically. I don't know where they are spiritually. I don't know what's going on in their circumstances, but I know this. They are connected here today not by accident, but by your will. You have called them. You have chosen them to speak the truth of your life-changing word into not just their minds, but their hearts. And so, Father, wherever we are today, physically or spiritually or both, would we do more than just be hearers of your word? But would we become doers? Would we begin to take steps to look and dress more like you? That we would be clothed with kindness and compassion and humility. Father, would we demonstrate to the world what it looks like to forbear and forgive with each other? Father, would we lead with love? Would that be what people see? And then, Father, most of all, most of all, would we be moved to move so that you could move in incredible ways in this broken country and these broken communities and broken homes and broken lives all around us. Jesus, help us leave here living and loving and connecting differently than when we came in today. In your name we pray. Amen.